Sunday, um, I was told I was going to be doing the services this weekend. So, and I, we usually find out about them that day. So a whole day was refreshing, actually. So um, when I found out about it, I started questioning the Lord about what was the best thing to do. And, you know, I, you'll find out real quickly that Keith and I are totally opposite from each other. I mean, we are like opposite ends of the spectrum, you know. But we are so madly in love with each other and have been ever since we've been 13 years old. The first time I ever met my husband, um, we were, like a year or so before that, we were going on a class picnic deal, a project kind of deal, and we were going to the zoo. And um, he got in the school bus, and he got in the seat behind, I I think it was, no, he was right in front of me, and I was right behind him, and he got in his seat, let's see, and he was sitting on the outside of the aisle, and I was kind of sitting catty corner from him here, and he took his little denim jacket, and he folded it ever so neatly across his lap like this, and I said, that's the man I'm going to marry. Well, it wasn't until the next year that he made a bet with somebody about something to ask me out, and they came to my house and said, you know, we need a woman's opinion about this. And I thought, you guys, come on, you know. But anyway, we started um, kind of flirting with each other, you know, when we were young, before you could date, you know. And we've been together since we've been 13 years old and um, kind of boyfriend, girlfriend. And um, we've never separated. We've never had affairs. We've never wanted to be with anybody else. We have loved each other since the day we met each other. And uh, the first time we were apart, I'll never forget it. He had to go to flight school for three weeks, and we thought we would die. Especially Keith, because he had, I thought, what is he going to do? He's never been alone without me for five hours, much less for five days, you know. He doesn't know how to order room service by himself. <laughs> I am not kidding you. That is how it was, because, you know, uh, he's a southern man, and uh, he believes in a southern wife, you know, and a lot of you know what that means. And uh, we'll get into that as the years go. But, uh, no, he actually believes what the Bible tells, you know, about the husband is the head of the house and uh, wives have a place underneath the husband. And I totally teach that. So if you don't believe that, you're not going to like me very well. You know, see how quiet it got? Oh, my word. Oh, we got a lot of growing to do in here. A lot, a lot of growing. But it's the most wonderful place because all you have to do is follow. You don't have to deal with anything. You get to follow. So it's a great place. But so I started finding out that I was going to do the service tonight. And I said, okay, Lord, what do we do? And you know what you do when you go to somebody's house for the first time? It's kind of a little bit awkward, isn't it? So you kind of got to get to know each other a little bit. Okay? And you'll find out real quickly, I don't let people just sit there. If I see somebody, I've done it with the church. I did our youth group for nine years. And I see somebody just sitting there being real quiet. I'm liable to have them up here singing in five minutes. So y'all better look out. You know, uh, I'm so, I'm telling you, I am so totally different from my husband. I, uh, you know, there's not anything to be sad about. What is there to be sad about? We serve a good God. You know, we're healed. We're prosperous. We're good looking. You know, what is there to be sad about? You know, It's time to be happy. 
you know? So um, let's, let's stir ourselves up. So uh, we were talking about, you know, what I was going to do. And, and just five minutes before I came out, uh, Keith told me the title of his sermon. And uh, he said, I think you've got the better end of the deal tonight. Yours is going to be more fun than mine. I said, that's because I'm God's favorite. <laughs> and uh, I always have been, and he knows it. You know, and for years he, told, he, he would tell me, he'd say, Phil, you know, uh, that is not a scripture. God says he plays no favorites. But then about a year ago, how many of you heard him teach the sermon on God does have favorites? And I said, I've been telling you all along. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but... So when he told me that, you know, I was going to be teaching, I said, we've got to get to know each other, you know. So uh, that's what we'll do tonight, because I know him. He's never going to tell you nothing about us or where we came from or anything that happened in our life or what we did or who we are or anything like that. And you want to know, don't you? Okay. So if you don't want to know, well, the, the ones that want to know outweigh you we're louder than you, so we're going to do it. So... Uh, in doing this, I got a title uh, for my message, but this is how we'll start it. It's called Jesus' Service Teams. See how quiet you got? I never heard of it either. That's what God told me. So um, turn with me, if you would, and I don't turn to a lot of scriptures. You'll find out I'll make you keep your Bibles under your chair after this first scripture. That's the only one you get to look at. So if you want to just look at it on the screen, if you don't have an amplified Bible, you're wasting your time. Because you know what I try to do? I try to balance it because Keith makes you turn so much. So I I get up here and I say, just put it on the screen, guys. Okay? So here you go. Amplified. Ephesians 2.10. They'll get it up for us. They're all learning. And we're going to take our time and let everybody learn tonight. Y'all okay with that? We're all new. What's the problem? You ever done anything new? You ever been nervous? There's no point in it. It's ridiculous. Okay. Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we, that means you and me, right? Okay. We are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Living what? The good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. What about that? God planned for us to live a good life. He prearranged it. He put it into our path. He made it ready for us. That's God's plan for us. So, okay, my question to you is then, why does everybody have this sourpuss look on their face all the time? Huh? Are there... Why is everybody like that? If we're truly living the good life. If he truly prepared a good life for us to live, why does everybody look like that? Because somewhere along the way, they got off the path that he had prepared for them. They got on another path 
that wasn't God's path that he had prepared for them. Now, don't misinterpret anything I told you a few minutes ago. I said I have loved my husband every day of our lives. And we have never been separated and we're never going to be separated. But I never said we didn't have a fight. We will be married 35 years in May. But I never said we didn't have a disagreement about something. And any married person that tells you that they didn't lives in different states. I'm sorry, but they do. Because the Bible says or they disagree with the Bible because the Bible says that you two shall have trouble in the flesh. And you can't disagree with the Bible. It doesn't work. But we learned how to overcome those things and get past those things. But we did not get off of God's path for our lives. We stayed right on the path that he had for us. And that doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, that people that have gotten divorced or gotten separated or gotten those things have totally gotten off of God's path. I believe God is merciful. I believe he's kind. I believe he's loving. And I believe he'll get you right back where you need to be. And he will give you the graces and the abilities to get right back in his will. I believe he'll do whatever he needs to do to keep you happy. I believe that the Bible teaches that God sent his own son and he took everything that makes you sad and he bore every bit of it and took it to hell with him so that you could be happy. And if you're not happy, it's because you're choosing to bear it again. Because God wants us so happy and so blessed that he gave the most valuable, precious thing that he had, which is his son, Jesus. So Keith and I got married. Uh, we won't say it was the right way to do it. We wouldn't recommend anyone doing it that way. But we ran away twice. The first time, um, it didn't work. And so we did it again. Because we were determined we were getting married. And uh, we got married two days out of high school. And uh, we have been married ever since. Now, this is how Keith explained it one time, and I haven't come up with a better explanation to it. He said, when we got married, it was like you took two cats and you tied their tails together and threw them across a clothesline pin, and they went to fighting. It was like, just like that. And let me explain to you why. Because Keith grew up in a Baptocostal, uh, six-denominational household where his, he, most of his family was Baptist or Pentecostal or Church of God. or I mean, they all kind of intermingled together, and he went to all of those churches, you know. One Sunday they went to this one, and actually, honest to goodness, on one Sunday, they had the pastor from the Baptist denomination speak in the very pulpit, and then the next Sunday, they had the pastor from the Church of God speaking in, and you never know. I know when we got married, I went up 
this, which is another long story. And uh, they said, so do you uh, want to belong to the, the Church of God? And I thought they meant the Church of God. And I said, yes. And so they said, well, you're part of the Church of God. And they said, oh, no, you want to be part of the Baptist Church. And I thought, oh, and I'm already in a political thing. And I didn't even know what I had done because I was Catholic. <laughs> so um, kind of a mess, huh? Um, but, um, and he was one that's Pentecostal. And uh, that's where I actually got filled with the Holy Ghost, like a month after we were married. And um, he took me to the Pentecostal church. And um, my mom and dad didn't much care for my husband because he drove cars that had loud mufflers and, and was rebellious. And he was a Pentecostal. And part of her family had become Pentecostal and they didn't get to wear makeup and jewelry and different things. And so she thought that's what it would become of me. And about a month later, it happened. I went to the Pentecostal church and uh, it started happening. And Keith was trying to get filled with the Holy Ghost. How many of you have heard him tell the story about that? Oh, it's a long story. And it's a long, long story if you're there. A longer story if you have to spend the night, month after month after month. And he was trying to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, he'd try every night. And uh, so one night, he uh, was trying to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, it's probably you. Because I was Catholic. I didn't know, you know, what the Holy Ghost was. You know, I thought he really was a ghost, you know. And so I went to the altar on this side because this was the ladies' side. And the men's side was over there. And um, I went up and I said, Lord, if there's anything that I am doing, please show me so that I can help him get whatever he wants so that we can please just go home. (laughs) And because of that, uh, during that time, uh, throughout the night, I got saved. And I fell out under the power and by the back of my head hit the pew. He thought I had busted my skull because I just fell out. And um, they said, well, you know now, I didn't know nothing. But you know now that you've got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, that you've got saved, you need to get baptized. And I said, okay, whatever that means, because I'd already been baptized. I'd been sprinkled with water when I was born, so what do you mean baptized, you know? So um, I said, okay. And so they said, come on, get in the car. We'll take you to get baptized. Well, the whole church, there was about 100 people there. Um, Get in the car. It's freezing cold. It's not Florida. It's uh, Mississippi, and it's like January. And it's like pond time. So we go to a pond in the middle of the night. And um, all the way there, these people keep telling me, they keep saying, uh, just believe that when you come up out of the water, you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just believe that when you come up out of the water, you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just believe that when you come up out of the water, you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Just believe that when you... And they kept saying that over and over and over. And I didn't know anything to not believe. I didn't know anything what the Holy Ghost was. I didn't know anything to teach me that I was supposed to tarry. I didn't know anything. All I knew was just to believe that when I come up out of the water, I'd be speaking to the, I'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. So when I went down, the motion down, when the ministers, you know, took me under in the water, I had on my dress and my hose and my heels and everything and went right out into the water and we got about this deep and it felt like I had stepped into a warm bathtub. I never felt the chill of the water, and the minister's just going like this, you know. And uh, I went down, and the moment that I started coming up in an upward motion, I started speaking in tongues. 
I mean, and the minister said he had never done it before. He, and he said, I don't know if I'll ever do it again. But he yelled out, she got it, you know. And uh, so it was, and I spoke in tongues nonstop. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep for four days. Four days. I, I, I don't know why. And Keith, he tells the same story. He was there. He tells the story. So we went on for a while, and Keith tarried. And it was quite frustrating because I had the Holy Ghost and he didn't. Now, that's not a good household. When your husband has been tarrying for something for a year and you get it that quickly, it's not a good thing. So he would say, Phil, go in the back of your 1969 Marriott mobile home with the crushed red velvet carpet and the black imitation leather sofas and one night we left and we went out and um, we came back from church and the wa- it was so cold that the water froze solid in the commodes. That's how insulated the thing was. And the stove never worked and the oven never worked because we got it for $1,000. I mean, that's how rich we were. And um, we didn't have anything but we had each other. We were in love. Right? But we were, didn't know it. We were on a predestined path that God had prepared for us. And we didn't know it. The very first important part was we were together. And we didn't even know it, how important it would be that the two of us were together at the time. And we started down that path. And so he'd say, Phil, go in the back and pray for me. Because I can't. So I did. And it wasn't long after that that I began to pray. And the Lord opened some doors for us. And he sent me to work for a doctor that happened to have a whole wall, oh, probably about from that seam in that wall to this side, about from the floor to the bottom of the speakers, filled... Now, this was 1977. Filled with Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, Charles Capps, Jerry Savelle, all the people that probably a lot of people have heard of, tape series. And I didn't know when he hired me that it was kind of a requirement that you take these home and start studying them. I was Catholic. Then I was Pentecostal. So I've been sprinkled and I've been dunked. You know? So um, we started, I mean, he hounded me, you know. And then one day he didn't give me my paycheck because he said, you really need to hear these. So he gave me some of Brother Copeland's tapes. Redeemed from the curse of the law. God had set us on a good path for our life, a predestined path for our life. And we started listening to these tapes. And we'd get them home, and we had a tiny little cassette player, and we'd sit in our 1969 Marriott mobile home, and we would listen to these cassette tapes, and then we'd talk about them. And we had no clue the path that it was setting us on. But we would listen to them. And as quick as one would end, we'd put in another one. And we didn't understand one word of what we were hearing. But we knew it was good. 
So the next year, we, listen, we probably listened to him for a year. Well, no, let's see, let me, let me get my calculations right. That would be 77 to 78. I probably didn't listen to him for the first year I was there. So, you know, so 70, okay, so probably two years we listened to him. I mean, and we fed on those things night and day. Then the Lord dealt with us to find out about it. One day he gave me another, he said, listen to this guy's, which was Brother Hagen. And he said, no, I don't want to hear anybody else's tapes because I know this man is right. I've been listening to his stuff, but I don't know about this man. And so finally he says, well, this man probably taught this man a big percentage of what he knows. So he started listening to Brother Hagen. And somehow or another, we sent some money to them. We've, I don't know how we got money to send to them. I do not know. But anyway, we got a, a Word of Faith magazine. I don't even remember how we did. But we got a Word of Faith magazine. And on the cover of the Word of Faith magazine was a graduating class from Ramah. And they all had on their red robes. And we in sync got it in our hearts to go to a camp meeting that year. Well, you don't know what a miracle it is to go to a camp meeting when you don't have enough money to eat. All you eat is what vegetables come out of the garden. I mean, we both had jobs, but even the jobs, you know how it goes, would barely meet the income that you have. It just pays the bills that you have, and you don't buy anything new. You just barely get by. So, the day comes for us to go to camp meeting. Well, this is July. We didn't know if we had enough money to go. We knew we didn't have a vehicle that would go. We didn't have hotel reservations. We had no information about it. We had nothing, but we were setting out on a journey. We got in the car that his mother and daddy decided at the last minute they came out to our house and said, we don't think y'all should go in that car because they saw we were not changing our minds. We were going. And they gave us the keys to their car and said, go in this one. We think you'll be safer in it. So we went in their car and we got probably three hours down the road, which is probably an eight-hour drive. And he said, you got any money? I said, yes. I said, I don't know what happened. I've never had it happen before. But people just started giving me money when they heard I was going out there. They just started giving me money. And I think I have close to $800, which was like, I mean, 80000 today, you know. And he said, you know what? The same thing happened to me. And I think between us, we had something like $1,500, which was like a miracle. I mean, that we had gas money and we had food money and we had money to get a hotel room, but we didn't know that you had to make reservations for a hotel room. We'd never stayed in a hotel room before. We were country bumpkins. I mean, I was raised in New Orleans, but I'd never stayed in a hotel room before. Mom and Daddy, I was a city girl, but still, you didn't stay in a hotel. You stayed in your house. And when you traveled, you went and stayed in your family's house. So we got out there. And we got a hotel in the bad part of town because we didn't know where anything was. And we would go to camp meeting every day. We didn't do like a lot of people do and pick and choose which services they wanted to go to. Camp meeting started at 10 o'clock in the morning. We were there at 6.30 in the morning because we wanted to be on the front row. 
And we stood in line from 6.30 till it opened at 10 o'clock in the morning to get on the front row. That's how hungry we were for the things of God. That's how desirous we were for the things of God. They had changed our lives. They had meant something to us. But then the bad part was, after it was over at 11 o'clock at night, we had to find our way back to the hotel. And we got lost every single night. And we would not get back to our room. I kid you not, Keith, if he was standing here, he'd be telling you the exact same thing till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Every night! We'd get there just long enough to sleep an hour, get up and take a shower, and go back again. We didn't leave that place to go eat. We ate the nachos out in the lobby area. We didn't leave because we were afraid we'd lose our seats. We did that every day for a week. Well, Friday came, and it was time for a tour of the campus of Ramah. And we thought, you know what? We don't want to lose our seats, but we kind of want to go. And the usher said, well, you know, since you're going on a tour, you know, I'll kind of make an exception and I'll leave your stuff here. And we thought, really? Really? We'll get to have our seats when we come back? And he said, yeah. And so we went on the tour. And um, while we were walking around the campus, neither one of us said one word to each other the whole time that we were there. Not one word. It was like we were strangers. We just kind of the whole time we were there. We didn't say anything the rest of the day. Then the next morning was Saturday morning, and we got in our vehicle and started home. And it, we didn't say one word to each other until we got almost to Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, how many of you know from Tulsa to Little Rock, Arkansas is what, four hours plus? It's a long time to go in a car and not say nothing. And we weren't mad. I mean, it's different if you're mad, but we weren't mad. Finally, he says, um, what are you thinking? And I said, have you ever known that you're supposed to do something and every fiber of your body does not want to do it, but you know you're supposed to do it? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, that there is where most people miss God the rest of their lives. That you know you're supposed to do something with every fiber of your body, but you don't want to do it. That's where we were that day. That's why we weren't talking. That's why we weren't discussing anything. Because God was dealing so deeply in our hearts about things. He was ministering to us about things we didn't even have a clue that he was ministering to us about. And it just so happened, at the very time he asked me that question, I don't know if you, any of you from here are familiar with it or not, but in Arkansas, there's this place called Lake Dardanelle, and they have what I call a stink plant because it manufactures something, and it's got this great big uh, nuclear thing there, and it puts out these fumes and this stink stuff from it, and we were right beside it. I said, and it stinks just like that stink plant. I said, I don't want to go there. 
I said, but I know we're supposed to. And he waited about an hour, and he said, yep, I understand. And that was the last words we said to each other the whole way home. We didn't talk about it. We didn't bring it up. Well, I knew in my heart we were supposed to go. And he wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't say a word about it. Nothing was said. But God had joined he and I together. And if you're joined together, God knows when one of you is weak and the other one is strong. And he had joined the two of us together. And before we left, I had kind of snuck and grabbed an application. We got an application. And I had found out that it was like the very last day that we could get that application in. And I went to him at his work. I took off work and I went to him and I said, you know what? Today is the very last day that you can turn in your application. He said, I know it. And he'd already thought about it and he said, you know what? I think it's just too quick because it's already the end of July. We'd already, we'd only have like a month to get things turned around and get to school. Maybe we'll check on it next year. And I said, no, sweetheart, I think we'll miss it. Well, I, I didn't know the word miss it. I think we'll mess up if we don't go this year. I think we need to really just get this in. Can we just get it in and just see what happens? He said, this was his words to me. If you think you can pull it off today and get that thing done, well, he knew me well enough to know it was going to get done. He was not confused by that fact at all. He knew exactly what he was saying. I had to get the minister's reference. I had to get two personal references, and it was already 2 o'clock in the middle of the afternoon. We got the thing in, and he got accepted. Another step along the predestined path that you could have missed a shot. Because it would have been real easy to say, there's no time, we've waited too late. And gotten off the path that God had for us. And not been there when we needed to be there. Because it just so happens that it was that very year that the Lord dealt with Brother Kenneth E. Hagan to start a healing school. What a coincidence. And if anything, anybody in here knows anything about my husband, that is one of the greatest things in his heart is healing. You think it's prosperity, but it's healing. It's just the direction the Lord's had him go for a little while. You know, if you get deficient on one thing, God will make you take a lot of vitamin C to get you built up in it. You ever thought about that? So anyway, Brother Hagen announces he's going to start a healing school. He's in prayer school. He's on the front row every single day. Brother Hagen's teaching it. And so he calls a couple of them out and talks to them. He says, one man can't do it all. So what's Keith doing in prayer school all this time? He's a very busy man in prayer school. He's sitting on the front row, and every day he's sitting on the front row while Brother Hagin is teaching. And every day in prayer school, he's sitting on the front row hooked with Brother Hagin while he's teaching. And every day in prayer school, at his option, he's sitting on the front row. And he never missed. 
In order to be in your place, you got to be there when it's optional. Not when somebody's commanding that you be there. And he was there every single day. And one day, Brother Hagen called him out, him and Patsy and Miss Peggy and a couple of other people. And he asked him, he told him, he said, uh, you know, one man can't do it all. So we're going to start a healing school. So Brother Hagen started out teaching healing school. Do you know what one man can't do it all meant? I need you, four people, to do this. I need you to welcome everybody that comes to healing school in the back and get a card that has their name on it. That's what he did for a whole year. Every day. Optional. Nobody made him be there. And nobody was paying him to be there. But he was there every single day. Prayer school. Healing school. And all he was doing in healing school was taking the person's name, filling out the card, putting it in a thing, welcoming them to healing school. Every single day. A couple of years went by. We are on the predestined path that God had for us. Now, how is it possible that Keith can go to prayer school and healing school and go to Rama Bible Training Center? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because when we decided that he was going to Rama and he got accepted to Rama, I told the doctor that I was working for, you know what, I'm going to have to quit. The Lord's dealt with us that Keith is supposed to go to Rama. He said, what? I said, yep. He said, well, you know what? I have to go to a training seminar in Kansas City. So he went. He comes back from that seminar, and I know this is just luck. It's just coincidence, just happenstance. But he sat down right beside a doctor from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the doctor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, just happened to tell him, I really, really need someone to work at my front desk and work for me. And I need them right away. He said, well, you know what? I got somebody that can do that. He said, she's leaving here on Friday. She can start for you on Monday. <laughs> he said, just don't ask her to type. <laughs> he calls me that afternoon. He offers me a salary four times what I'm getting there. Which accommodates the fact that Keith will be able to go to Rama, to prayer school, and to healing school. Now, God joined us together. And God set us on a predestined path to live the good life. But how easy would it have been for us when we were driving back from Ramah to say, you ever felt like you were supposed to do something and don't want to do it? And then, don't do it? Or, ever felt like you were supposed to go to camp meeting and not have the money so you not even try? 
because you don't see it with your eyes. You don't see any way that it can work out. But when God sets you on a path, if you will just do what you have on the inside of you to do and take the tiniest of steps to listen to what He's telling you to do, if He says, go see a tour of that campus, you take that step and you go see a tour. If He says you go to prayer school every day, you take a step and you go to prayer school every day. If He says you do this, then that's what you do. If He says... And you say, I don't want to move to Broken Arrow where it stinks. We got our family and we got everybody. We don't know anybody in Broken Arrow. We don't have any money for tuition. We don't have jobs. We don't have anything to go to Broken Arrow with. You step, you almost what you have to do at that point in time in your life is you just almost have to just shake it off and throw it and just wail your arms in the air and just get it out of your head and you almost have to do it before you can think about it or you'll talk yourself out of it. And that's what the devil knows. And so many people have convinced themselves they cannot do what God wants them to do because it doesn't fit into their plan. But you know what? Of all the things that God has called me to do that I thought I was going to be so miserable doing, every time that I get such a lack of a better word of fear to do it, to step out and do it, and I don't want to do it, when I finally do it, it is the greatest joys of my life. It is the happiest times of my life. It is the most wonderful times of my life. Because God is smarter than me. And the funny part about it is, He knows what I like better than I know what I like. He knows how to fulfill my heart's desires better than I know how to fulfill my heart's desires. He knows how to complete me better than I know how to complete me. And don't kid yourself, it ain't no movie. No person is going to complete you. Only God is going to complete you. You can try forever to get your spouse to complete you and they ain't going to do it. They ain't got it in them to be able to do it. And you can put pressure on them till Jesus comes and they can't do it. All they can do is feel insufficient and hurt because they can't give you what you need. But God can complete you because He can get you in places that you never thought that you could be so happy that you never thought that you could be so full of joy, that you never thought that you could be so full of life. He can honor you in ways that you never thought you could be so honored. He can give you things that you never thought you liked, and you get it and you think, I never even thought I would like that sort of thing. Like my husband got me a gold wing trike one year, and I thought, me, a motorcycle? It has been a joy of my life. I go riding with all the guys. Find out what they do on those motorcycles. I mean, there's just things that God will do for you that you never even thought you would like to do and give you the ability and the wherewithal to be able to do it. But if you try to make it work out for yourself 
and you make a plan and you set out on your calendar and you get a plan for this many years down the road and this is my goal and I'm going to finish high school and then I'm going to go to college and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to do this. You're going to be the most miserable doctor in the world because you're not going to be happy. God has a plan for your life. I've had the greatest... If you would have asked me Phyllis Moore, if I would enjoy working with youth, I would have looked at you and laughed. That has been one of the greatest joys of my life is working with our youth. I think that was the hardest thing that I did when I moved here was every Wednesday night I cried because I didn't get to be with our youth. I mean, they still text me every day and I still talk to them all the time. But you know what? I miss them because I miss the fact that that is the transitional time of their lives. It is the time where their parents has told them, you have to do this and you're going to be this and you're going to be that. And they're at a point in their lives where it's time for them to find out who they really are. And the bad part about it is mom and daddy's told them a bunch of lies a lot of times and they got to find out for themselves, well, this is really true or this is not really true. And that's why it's called rebellion, because it's not really rebellion. It's they're finding out mom and daddy ain't told them everything right. Because mom and daddy didn't know everything right. So how can they tell them everything right? A lot of times parents just got saved themselves. And they made mistakes. And so they're trying to find their way. And they've been mended. So many relationships have been mended. So many kids off drugs. Because our teenagers are not going to hell in a handbasket. They're going to heaven in the glory of God. And we've got some good ones. But to know that you'd be able to do something like that and spend time with them. God will set you on the path that will fill your heart's desire. He will give you the things that you want more than you know that you want. So we went to Ramah. He he graduated from Ramah. He did healing school for, I I try to remember the years, and, and if you know anything about me, I had to ask him this afternoon how long we'd been married so I could tell you. I am serious. I don't keep up with dates. I am the worst person about times and dates and that sort of stuff. I said, how long have we been married, sweetheart? He said, Phil, you do this. I said, just tell me how long we've been married, sweetheart, because I'm going to forget it in 10 minutes. Because I don't care. It doesn't make me any difference. I don't know how old I am most of the time. When I go to fill out a thing and it says, how old are you? I have to call him on the phone and ask him how old I am. And I am not telling you a lie. I am telling you the truth. I don't know how. I I have to. Am I this? Am I this? I don't remember. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. What difference does it make how old you are? It's just the devil trying to make you feel bad. That's absolutely all it is. Oh, you're 63. So what? Well, I feel like I'm 29, so today I'll be 29. Be whatever you want to be. You know, if I can still get up and run five miles tomorrow morning, and then I'll feel like I'm, you know, whatever. But 
you get on these paths that God puts you on. And you let Him direct you. And when He does that, it's like His arms are just wrapped right around you. And He's just loving you all day long. It's like He's hugging you. And when you do that, you don't have to think about your needs, your wants, what you're believing for. It never has to cross your mind. Oh, we need our light bill paid. Oh, we need to buy the kids clothes. Oh, we need groceries. Oh, we need to pay this medical bill. Oh, we need this. Because you don't have time to think about it. You're so busy thinking about what God's plan is for you and what the next step is to get it done that you don't have time to think about your light bill and your this and your that. So you know God's got to take care of it. I mean, ask Dan. Dan's sitting right there. Dan, how much time have you had to think about your bills in Branson the last year? None. Absolutely none. Perry, how much time you had to think about your bills this last year? None. None. We have been in this building, no exaggeration, from usually 7 o'clock in the morning till most of the time up until this last week or two, almost midnight, working to get a church here. Because God has a reason for you people. There's something exciting going to happen here. Because I know him. I know him well enough to know that he would not take all of my time, which is very, very valuable, all of his time, which is very, very valuable, all of his time, which is very, very valuable, take me away from my husband as much as he has, take him away from his wife, take him away from his girlfriend to be or his wife to be. Yeah, she's on the way. And, uh, um, and uh, Dave away from his wife and Rob away from his wife unless there was something glorious going to happen here. He does not do that. That's not the way he works. Because if you have to sacrifice something, it's just like Jesus. The sacrifice cannot compare to the glory which will be revealed. It can't be compared. So all the days that we were like, can we do it? Can we put another foot in front of it? Can we think of another thing? You know... I don't like reading contracts. I don't think it's my grace. I don't think it's my calling. But you can ask these guys. Every day I was reading stacks of them. And catching things because of the grace of the Holy Ghost. But you get in God's plan and God's path for your life. And He will set you on a course that will make you have a good life. He graduated from Rama. He worked in healing classes. We got done with all that. And God says, uh, help Brother Hagen. Well, he told him to help Brother Hagen in healing class. So that's what our commission was for year after year after year. Help Brother Hagen. Help Brother Hagen do what? Well, this is the pleasures that I got to help Brother Hagen with for decade after decade. You want to hear how important it was? I didn't preach. I didn't sing. Um, I didn't do anything on the platform. I didn't do anything in a service. 
Nobody knew I existed for 20 years. But I helped Brother Hagen, and I know I helped Brother Hagen. Now, there's some people in here that know I helped Brother Hagen. I could, they're, they're nodding their head. They know I helped Brother Hagen. They're on Brother Hagen's board. I helped Brother Hagen two ways. I helped Brother Hagen because Brother Hagen was married. And Brother Hagen's wife needed help with some things. And by me helping Brother Hagen's wife, I took pressure off of Brother Hagen. I took her shopping. I took her to her appointments. I took her everywhere she needed to go for 15 years. On my dollar, on my time, never once. Did you hear what I just said? Never once did Brother Hagen call me or Miss Aretha call me and say, can you come and take me that I said, you know what, I'm busy today. You know how much I got paid? Nothing from Brother Hagen and, and Miss Aretha. I got paid gazillions from God. Look at this church. Look at all the people that have been saved and healed and ministered to by the word supply. Millions of people around the world are getting healed and set free every day of our lives because of the word that Brother Hagen put into us. Every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for Brother Hagen teaching me how to be led by the Spirit. Not one day that goes by that I don't thank him for that. Because it spared me so many heartaches and so many headaches that so many other people go through. Getting things they shouldn't get, doing things they shouldn't do, that it sets you on a different path. Keith helped Brother Hagen. Oh, and I helped Brother Hagen in other ways too. That wouldn't be known. Um, let's see what else I did. I cooked for him sometimes, I cleaned for him sometimes, and I did Brother Hagen's hair. And a lot of other dumb things. Unpacked their clothes, set up their hotel rooms, but nobody knew it. And it was not necessary that anybody know it. Because you know what? If everything you do is known here on the earth, you have your reward. And there's a lot of people that's already got their rewards. And they were very, very small. But we're not going to be those people. We're going to be people that are going to serve God and get in His plan and path for our lives and do what He's called us to do because we love God. Not because we love accolades of man. Because we love God and we love seeing people set free and we love seeing people healed and we love seeing people delivered and we love seeing people's lives be turned around. Because that's what we love. Not because we love to prophesy to somebody. But because we truly love somebody helped. And we don't care if we're the ones that does it 
so long as it gets done. And it was much more valuable that I take care of her and I do the things behind the scenes because Brother Hagen was much more spiritual than I was. And it was much more important that he do what he did than I do what I could do. So we did that for decade after decade after decade. And then one day, the Lord said, Start a church in Branson. Are y'all bored? I told y'all I'd tell y'all about us. Then we'll do something else next time. He said, start a church in Branson. So we went to Branson to look around. He's in the hotel room praying. No, I take that back. Let me correct that. He said, move to Branson. He didn't say start a church. He said, move to Branson. So Keith thought we were going to move our ministry to Branson. So he says, Phil, you get out and find a place that will hold two or three hundred people. Because we might want to do some TV broadcasts from there. I might want to lay down some tracks or TV stuff or, or just some different things. And we might want to have a little meeting now and then. He said, um, so um, find a place that will do that. So I said, okay. So I got out and got to looking. And I found a place that would hold 3,000 people. And God said, that's it. That is it. That is the one. This is it. And I knew it in my heart. The being led thing Brother Hagen taught me. I knew it in my heart the minute I set foot in the place. But you want me to tell you something that was really odd? The paths that he predestined for us ahead of time. We drove in that night. And we had been staying at this one condo when we'd gone a couple of times. And um, we were staying at this other one because it was cheaper. And we got in the, we walked through the door. We'd already checked in. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. And we walked through the door, and we got into the little alcove front part. And I looked at Keith. I said, this ain't right. We shouldn't be in this place. He said, I know. Something feels weird. He said, where are we supposed to be? I said, we're supposed to be back over there at that other place. He said, you're right. You're right. We got in the car. We went back. We checked out of the other place. We went to the other place, asked him, did they have the room we'd stayed in the last time? And she said, y'all are back so soon? And I said, yeah, we're back. She said, what are you back so soon for? I said, we're here to look at properties. She said, hang on. Now, she didn't know if I meant a house, a condo, a building, what I meant. Because Branson, you've got it all. She comes back with this card and she hands it to me. She says, the guy that owns this place has got a building for sale right over here. He'll meet you there at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. It is the building we bought called the Yellow Ribbon Theater. But that's only the part of the story. We got in that morning, the Yellow Ribbon Theater, and I'm standing up here on the platform. I'm standing right here on this platform. The gentleman is sitting right there where that gentleman is sitting. And he said, so how many people's in your congregation? I thought, congregation. We don't have a congregation. We don't have a church. Why do I need this building? We don't have any money. How am I going to buy this building? I looked at the man and I said, 
we don't have a congregation. He got up and walked out. Because I didn't know at the time there'd been a lot of churches that had tried to buy it that didn't have any money. So, the next day, we went to the man and we made him an offer on the building. He said, I can't do that. We did what we thought we could do. Give us this many days and we'll have this much and do it. He said, I can't do it. Being led because we served with Brother Hagen for so long. That night, there were three guys involved in this building. The Lord kept one of those guys up all night long. And at 7 o'clock the next morning, my phone rings. And it's the owner. And he says, you know what? He said, are y'all busy right now? And Keith had been up all night long praying. I know he had just gone to bed. And I was getting up to go look at buildings. And um, he said, um, can y'all meet us? And we said, sure. So we went and met with these three businessmen. And they said, you know what? We don't understand what y'all are doing. We really think it's kind of messed up. But the Lord kept and they called the man's name up all night long and said, these people are supposed to have this building. We've never had that happen to us before. And said, to work out this deal just like this. And if you do it this way, then we're going to give you this much money back at the end of this time, cash money to apply towards it. We went, what? They figured out a business plan for us to buy that building with zero money down and have so much time to be able to get in. And God supernaturally worked it out to where we could get in it. And you know that's the Branson Church that we were in for three years and sold, in, or we haven't sold yet, but is there, and um, is sold in Jesus' name, and moved to another building. But that's how the Branson Church started. Because we were predestined to do that. Keith was standing in the pulpit for the first four services before he realized he was a pastor. He'll tell you that himself. He said, I didn't even know I was called a pastor. And that was the biggest thing that he dealt with. Now he has two churches. Don't you find that funny? But he'll tell you the same thing. It is the greatest joy of his life to be able to see people change because he's traveled for so many decades and just being able to go in and dump word here and there. But you never get to see the people's lives change. And being able to have a church and being able to be with the people and see their little ones grow up through the children's classes and see them become youth and then see them get married and see them have kids of their own, it's a joy. And, you know, Dan knows this story, one of the very first ones that we had there. Uh, when he first came to the church, him and his mom were living in his car. They didn't have any money, didn't have anything. They weren't at the church very long. He was out of his car. He was in a condo. He had a job. 
Well, not only did he get a job, was it long after that? If I'm not mistaken, he's married to Susan's. What is it? Your sister? Kevin's sister. And doing supernaturally well. I mean, he's got him a pretty wife and a place to live and, and started out when we started the church living in his car. Now, that's the kind of thing that you can't buy with any money that you have. That's the kind of thing I was talking about in the offering, about honoring the Lord. To be able to see what He can do with people and their lives. There's no greater joy than that. Than to see that you're a part of something like that. To see somebody's life turn around and get headed on a different path when they were on a downward spiral. And that's what this church is going to do. That's what you're going to do. That's what we're going to do. God built it for a reason. He built it for a purpose. And you guys are going to be a major part of it. You saw the service team, the guys doing the quick response stuff. This church is not Keith and Phyllis Moore's church. It's you guys' church. And uh, we're going to all work hand in hand to get done what God's called us to do. But what you've got to do is you've got to be very, very, very careful in that when he tells you to do something, you don't get in that frame where you say, have you ever felt like you were supposed to do something and don't want to do it and don't do it? You shake off the fears. You shake off the anxieties. You shake off the thoughts. You shake off everything that the devil throws at you. And you just take that step of faith out into the wild blue and do what God's called you to do. And he'll be there to meet you. And he'll be there to supply everything that you need. If he's got to move heaven and earth to get it to you, he'll get it to you. And he'll meet everything that you need to accomplish the task that he set before you. Because, put the verse back up there for us and let's read it again. And maybe it'll make a little bit of a difference to you. For we, say I am, God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that I may do those good works which he predestined and planned beforehand for me to take paths which he prepared ahead of time that I should walk in, walk in them living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for me to live. Are you going to live the good life? I believe we are. I'm telling you, I am excited. I know when we were driving to Branson, when we were going to start the church there, uh, before we had done very much, I called Keith. He was in the vehicle behind me, and I called him, and we were moving all of our stuff, and I said, Sweetheart, I don't know what it is, but I just have this excitement just bubbling up on the inside of me, and I don't even know what it's about. Well, that's the exact same way that I feel now. 
Because out of that church has come TV and word supply that the word has gone around the world and people's lives have been changed in every nation around the world from things that they've gotten. Because when you hear that I couldn't afford the tapes and I was healed and I was going to die, or you hear things, you know, that people tell you how their lives have been turned around. I was getting a divorce and, I'm, and we're okay today. And we're not getting a divorce and the devil couldn't win. He was lost, you know, because we got a hold of that tape or because we, got, we watched you on TV. And you hear that and the devil loses and you're able to stomp his head in the ground. Then you're ready to shout because he can't win. And that's just how I feel here. We're going to do some devil stomping because he can't win. So stand up with me and let's thank God because he has you on a path for victory. And if you'll stay on that path, he cannot, the devil cannot do anything in your life and you cannot lose. Glory to God. Say this with me. I am a winner. The devil is a loser. I will get on and stay on the path that God has prearranged for me to be on and live the good life. Glory to God.